when we're looking to learn a new skill, organizations straight away look outside, right? They look for external um, support and talent, but actually they don't tap into the collective intelligence of their organization often. You've probably got internal experts who are great at what they do. You've just not enabled them to easily share what they uh, know with others. Coming up on today's show, we're talking to Chad and Joel, the co-hosts of the Chad and Cheese podcast, an HR tech show uh, predominantly based in the States, but with a global audience, really big listenership. So fun to have another podcast show on our show. And then we're also catching up with Nelson Sivillingham, the CEO of How Now and author of Learning at Speed. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered for you by Nash Squared, where we talk to leaders from across the technology industry. Joining me on today's show, we've got Akish. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. Very well. It's been a while since... Uh, mm, we've had a few different style episodes, a few specials. Yeah, a few specials. I, I, see, I see how it is, mate. Leave me out of the specials, you know. Uh, yeah. ne- next week's very different. Next week, we're releasing Ooh. the audiobook to go along with our State of Digital on this channel. So Ooh. next week, listeners, you're in for a right treat because on Thursday, we are launching um, a new report written by five articles, five experts across the industry talking about transformation te- um, transformation talent, rather, um, sustainability, security, and inclusion. And we've got a launch event on Thursday that you're coming to, Kish. I am coming to that, yes, yes. Um, look, really looking forward to it, actually. I hope the weather is nice. Um, the weather looked terrible uh, forecast-wise on Saturday. I had a look mm. yesterday, it had improved a bit. And I had a look yeah. today, and... It's looking better again, so fingers crossed, because we are going to be on the roof broadcasting live. So you can watch, you can see whether or not um, we make it onto the roof or we have to have alternative plans to keep... What, what is the alternative plan, by the way? Uh, the kitchen. <laughs> ah, okay. Bit of a come down. Yeah, yeah, it is. It Literally is. and metaphorically. Yeah, correct. But, you know, bit of a grounding effort. But uh, yeah. Yeah. If, it, if it is in the kitchen, then, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see... Um, what the others in the office make of it, because uh, I presume... It know. should be yeah. sunny and over 20 degrees on Thursday, looking at the forecast right now, in which case it'll be glorious up there. Yeah. Um, we'll have some really good insights based on those reports. And quite frankly, if you've got some time, four o'clock British summertime, Thursday afternoon, we'll put a link to sign up in the show notes. You should see what we're up to. I, I think yeah. you'll enjoy it. It's going to be broadcast in UHD. 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 Mate, you're going up in the game, mate. I remember when I first met you, you were 240p at best. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're on UHD, mate. mate. I don't actually know if it's UHD. I just know that they're broadcast quality cameras, so I'm assuming it's UHD. <laughs> I'm talking out my ass, but oh, God. it's good quality. <laughs> better, better make sure we're looking our best, mate. You know, the HD cameras pick up everything. You know I mean? It's a photographer. We've got a photographer floating around. So oh, you put, put on your uh, Put on your glad rags. Yeah, well, there you go. You don't do half measures, do you, Dave? You no, know? no, no, absolutely not. Not for our listeners. Very true. Very true. Um, but before that, we're going to take a trip across the pond. We're going to go catch up with the Chad and Cheese podcast with Chad and Joel. If you don't know Chad and Cheese, well, Chad and Cheese have a website which they cite in this interview. We are also joined by the Chief People Officer for Nash Squared, Melanie Hayes, talking all about HR tech, catching up with them on the back of Unleash America, where I met them in Vegas. And they're also going to be at Wreckfest 
in Nebworth. Um, not this week, but next, um, I think on Thursday 7th, I think. Um, but yeah, big listenership in the States. So a bit of a thrill to have them on the show. We'll hand over to this chat and myself and Akisha will come back afterwards. So joining us today, um, we've got the hosts of the Chad and Cheese podcast. For any of our listeners who don't know who Chad and Cheese are, before I go on to, to introduce Mel as well, because I don't want to leave you out, but Joel, what is Chad and Cheese? Chad and Cheese is a regularly published uh, podcast covering uh, news in recruitment, uh, startups, um, uh, thought leader interviews, etc. We publish roughly three shows per week, so we, you know, we're pretty regular. That's busy, and uh, we've been doing this for five years. To learn more, go to chadcheese.com. Yeah. How did you guys get started? Because three shows a week, is uh, that's a hell of a commitment. It is a hell of a commitment. We started off with uh, a commitment of one show a week for a year, and that was Joel's commitment. We wanted to make sure that we actually had uh, good cadence, right? You, you, you have to have a routine, mm-hmm. especially if you have a podcast. So that's where we started. Uh, I think we had like two sponsorship slots. Those filled up in no time. We created a third one. Uh, you can only put so many ads in a podcast. <laughs> so we started to, to branch out and, and, and companies and brands started coming to us and saying, Hey, look, here's some, here's some of our ideas on content that we're not hearing in the HRTA and, and tech space. Uh, would you guys be interested And some? We said, yeah, we'd definitely be interested And in some. We pushed away because it was boring. Uh, so that, I mean, that's, that's really the story. It was, um, we started to be able to, I was at, at Ronstadt for a few years building systems and, and talent pipelines for, for the veteran community. Joel was uh, heads down as a, an entrepreneur in, in building a startup. And we needed to get our voices back out there into the space. And this, for me, was it was one of the, one of the better ways to do it. Um, other than just being on stage. Being on stage is great, too. It's mostly also an excuse to drink. <laughs> Whilst recording, sometimes, yeah. yeah, for sure, yeah, it's on brand. I mean, we have we have whiskey giveaways, we have beer giveaways, like yeah, we, well, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? That's what that's what <laughs> that's, that's very what true. Bloody Marys and mimosas are for are you? Kidding me? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. The the drink the drink of a Sunday morning. Yeah, I mean, I I do have a bottle of beer here, but it is it's non alcoholic, I'm afraid, so it's all for show. Uh, and also joining us, <laughs> also joining us is what's the uh, point? What's the point? Just drink water. I know you asked the questions, but explain to me non-alcoholic alcohol. Okay. And the appeal uh, of it. <laughs> I can't drink alcohol for various boring medical reasons, and I really like it. Okay. Beer. Enough said. All right. There you go. Got it. Medical <laughs> but it's reasons. also, it's nice. Okay. It's nice. Like, you get to a point in the day where you've had too much coffee, and it's a meeting, and quite frankly, the alternative is lemonade and or Coca-Cola, and that's just that's just not fun at all. Bloating and gas and no beer, much better. <laughs> That's Joel's world um, right there, bloating and gas. <laughs> and not just because of alcohol, by the way. Taco Bell. Mel, uh, Chief People Officer, a lot, lot of experience in HR. You're, you're on the Nash Squared side to provide some credibility because I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I'm hoping I can add some value then, Dave. <laughs> well, I think so. Yeah, Do yeah. your listeners know Melanie? Um, so no, my listeners don't know Mel. Uh, so but she's going to do an to intro say, too now, right? Well, I think to say that she's our chief people officer. They they are familiar with our company and okay. our brand. If All, they right. Listen. All right. So welcome to the podcast, Mel. Thank you. First time on. 
actually. I've been asking to come on this for two years. Dave's just ignored me. Finally got my slot. (laughs) (laughs) Now you have to do it with us two idiots. I'm sorry. I apologize. I think think it makes it more fun. Well, look, um, we met briefly uh, at Unleash America. And I kind of want to return to that a little bit. You guys um, had the pleasure of closing the the stage on the first day of the conference. And um, I'm stealing one of the questions that Unleash asked me because Unleash grabbed me at the end of the conference and they said, look, we want to know about three technologies that you think will fail and three technologies that you think will will flourish. So I wanted to ask you the same thing because it'd be interesting, not just based on the conference, obviously, but but from some of the stuff that you heard um, at at Vegas about kind of three trends that you do think are going to kind of catch on and three that you think are hot air. All right. Success. I would say uh, the trend that is uh, for sure a, a can't miss is automation. Uh, the, 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 the solution of we're going to replace people with the mundane tasks like scheduling interviews are going to be automated will be plus 50% by the end of the decade that people will embrace automation for mundane tasks and recruiting, which by the way, will cost a lot of recruiters their job. That's my number one automation. Mel, I imagine you have a, well, I, I, no, I, I agree. I, I, no, I think automate, automate, right. But yeah. um, at the moment, the a number of companies that are hiring recruiting roles is, is immense. Yes. I don't think I've ever seen it. I mean, I started in TA probably about 15 years ago maybe longer actually probably longer um and there weren't many in-house recruiters and now that's the job that you're seeing everywhere so there's bound to be an impact especially with the if you look at the economic landscape and the potential of a recession in many countries why wouldn't you automate which is definitely going to affect recruiting roles and actually recruiters are not always great at admin so let's remove that bit (laughs) And they, I can say that because I've done the job. Well, and they don't want to do it because it sucks. I mean, let's let's just yeah. be boldly honest here. I think Joel's right with regard to automation. I think he's incredibly wrong with regard to costing recruiters their jobs, maybe sourcers. Uh, but we're, we're talking about automation taking tasks, not jobs, for the, for the most part. So, you know, anything that is easy, it's just administrivia, it's routine. We've seen automation uh, take those positions uh, in, in every other industry in the, in the world. Uh, we just haven't been able to automate them uh, because, we again, HR is slow, TA is slow to adopt. Uh, I, I do see automation making a recruiter's life much easier uh, again, from a sourcer standpoint, if you're just a pure play sourcer, you're probably in trouble. But from a recruiter standpoint, I don't think if if you're halfway decent, I don't think you, you're you're going to have a problem. Just out of interest, we we I'm swear we've been having this conversation for like six years. What kind of time scale are we talking about here for Joel's prediction? Because when I started this podcast, I think we were saying things like automation are going to come and take recruiters' jobs away. Yeah. I, well, that's that's Joel's. I don't think it's going to happen. There are no wrong predictions. They just haven't come true <laughs> yeah, yet. Yeah. He's, yeah, which means he doesn't want to answer your question. Uh, so, all right. All right, smarty pants. You give us one. It's easy to be the critic. Now, let's you give us well, one. Well, if you shut the hell up and let me actually talk. Okay, so first and foremost, I think one of the things that's, that's going to fail dramatically is DEI tech, right? Anything that is diversity, equity, oh. equity inclusion tech. And, and, and it's going to be challenged by new regulations and also outcomes. Uh, and when the first company gets nicked for anything, quote unquote, diversity, 
you're going to see vendors change their tune, especially if the regulations in California drop, which could could hold vendors responsible. Right now, they're not responsible. Right, the the employer is responsible. The vendors can say whatever the hell they want. They can they can smoke and mirrors left and right. DEI, if they're going to actually promote it and market it and say they're the easy button, as soon as they're held responsible to it, they're going to run from it. I've I've always found the whole kind of automation and talking about inclusion to be an interesting topic, right? Because there are a number of organizations that have a a no human touch point. They've done their tech stack, so it's all, all kind of online, no human interaction. Doesn't that actually doesn't that actually hinder people who might have disabilities? How, how do they get past that? Yeah, I mean, we, we actually had a, a discussion with uh, Matt Stubbs, who is, uh, he's uh, blind, and he can't actually apply for like 30% of the roles that he, he finds because uh, they, they, they aren't compliant with his screen reader. So yeah, I mean, there, there are issues, even with many of these organizations who say that they quote unquote, embrace DEI, disability, veterans, all that other, you know, uh, warm, warm and fuzzy stuff. So yeah, this, this is still a problem. And again, as companies say that they are quote unquote, DEI tech, uh, and they're proven not to be, it's good. It's going to be a huge, huge issue, especially if uh, some of these regulations start popping. We've got uh, success, automation, failure, DE, and I tech. Mm-hmm. Joel, give us another failure then. Virtual reality. Um, <laughs> That's your favorite. A lot of hype. Uh, yeah, I, I sarcastically love it. Um, uh, look, there's been talk about, you know, put on this headset, walk through the office, see where your, your cubicle is, uh, have a chat with your boss through VR, uh, on, on job training, put on this headset, um, and you can like learn the job. Um, there was talk about zoom will be replaced with the metaverse, which is another fail probably, (laughs) but less so than VR. No, like there's no, there's going to be no boardroom, uh, meeting where everyone's wearing an Oculus and like talking to each other. It's this, this is way more normal for most people. I don't see the headsets taking over corporate America or, uh, the business world. So VR is going to be a big fail in terms of the workforce workplace. I think Metaverse with a capital M will fail. I think Metaverse with a small M will ultimately succeed. I'm I think, too you know, we've old had companies to claim like... Metaverse is a fail. Meta- <clears throat> I'm too old. Metaverse might take off, man. I don't know. Kids kids are crazy, but I don't think Metaverse in the workforce, is, or I mean uh, VR in the workforce is going gonna, is gonna to happen. We've had, some, we've had some pretty successful early stage, admittedly, but but promising successful kind of companies, Verti on the podcast, who've, who've kind of, you know, the, the brainchilds of, of surgeons who want to try and recreate highly pressurized um, circumstances for training of medics and so on, or paramedics at the side of the road, you know, those style immersive environments. True, maybe sitting around a boardroom, maybe not, but those those style training environments, there seems to be some some legs there. And and people still read newspapers. Yes, like it's okay. It, it'll it'll catch on with some small group that has money and wants to be cool and whatever. Like okay, doctors and people who love porn will will embrace Oculus. You said the the you know we still feel that this is more natural, but this is the first iteration of of this. You know, well, we've been you're, doing you're, this. You're shit both for... in Indiana and 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 Mel's in in 
Tennessee and it's great, but it's, you know, we're only a couple of years out of the pandemic of trying to get used to this. Surely the technology is going to improve. Would you rather have this talk at a virtual table where we all have like headsets and I'm a robot and Chad is a squirrel and like, (laughs) would you really rather have that? Minus the robots and squirrel, yes. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's why you have these shows, differences of opinion. If we all just agreed on Chad. All right. Dave's Dave's bullish on VR. Yeah, yeah, I I think you're right. I think VR in the workplace again. You've got to remember, HR and talent acquisition, they are slow to adopt everything. I mean, we we're, we're so slow. So for VR to be adopted in other areas, I, I uh, agree. Dave, with regard to training scenarios, medical, uh, being able to actually use AR for schematics for 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 mechanics and those types of things, I think all of those are are, are great applications. I just think it's going to take maybe a handful of big organizations to implement uh, and take the risk for this to happen in HR and TA. I don't see that happening anytime soon. I'd, I'd be lucky, be lucky in the next ten years. I agree. I, I mean, I have an Oculus. I use it to play golf and tennis and beat Saber. <laughs> and that's beat Saber is it. an excellent game. Yeah, I yeah. tried a zombie game. Didn't. By like the way, it. wait, wait, wait for the se- sexual harassment cases in the metaverse to start happening before we shut the light off on the metaverse. Let's uh, let's get a positive yeah. from Chad. Right. I'll, I'll leave that. <laughs> yes, I, I would just leave that right there. So uh, education platforms, you take a look at uh, companies like Guild and Metaverse who are, you know, mm-hmm. uh, quad unicorns, you know, double quad unicorns. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that, at least here in the United States, and I, I think we can see this all over the world, is that we have this quote unquote skills gap problem and companies aren't. Uh, they're they're not bridging the gap themselves. They're sitting around and they're whining because they don't have the talent that is perfectly tuned attuned to the the, the roles and positions that they have uh, available. So instead of creating their own platforms, go figure. Uh, companies like Guild, Met, uh, Multiverse, and, and there are some others that are out there are are creating these platforms to help. Uh, bridge that gap for organizations. So it's more of a quote unquote educational easy button to get workers from, you know, uh, entry level to maybe mid level uh, versus just sitting around and hoping that it happens. So I think educational mm-hmm. platforms and also uh, from an internal mobility standpoint, where you're trying to skill up uh, individuals currently in your organization, that's huge for retention, which we really suck at, to be quite frank, in HR and TA. I think I can I can get on board with that. So that leaves us with one left in each category on this little section. Joel, back to you. So you can choose if you want to go positive or negative here. Well, I went negative, so I'm going to go positive this time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The robots are coming, people. The robots are coming. In 10 years, getting your food from a robot, getting your food cooked by a robot, getting a basic sort of healthcare check by a robot is going to seem normal. Uh, they've been testing it for years. They're starting to ramp this shit up now. Hiring cooks is a bitch. Keeping these people, service industry folks, is a bitch. Warehouse workers, recruiting, retention. Uh, we got to pay them more than we ever have. We have to deal with unions now uh, with certain companies. Like Employers are just going to say, fuck people as much as we can. Let's bring in the robots. You will see more and more robots. So 
I guess that's a pro for the robot and an, uh, a, a, a bearish on like just people doing these jobs are going to have to figure something else out. So Joel is beating that automation drum heavy. Uh, mm. I, and I don't I, I don't disagree, especially for all these positions that just suck, whether they're as we talked about earlier with regard to automation, taking away the routine, the administrative types of, of tasks out of the job. Uh, same thing for somebody working at like a, a Burger King or something like that, where they're not going to have to flip burgers anymore. Cause now we have Miso's flippy. Um, they can do, they can do more of the customer service and, and those types of, of positions. So I, I can't, I, I can't, I can't disagree at all with that one. I don't know. I feel like there's there's this there seems to be a bit more of a groundswell for this kind of stuff in the states around restaurants and service industry and whatever else, or or maybe even the Far East and maybe in Europe. It- I mean, it's going to be a lot easier based on like Americans. If we're good at anything, it's firing people. European countries, it's a lot harder to fire people. People are paid better, so maybe the retention is is better. Maybe there's a cultural. I don't know hands hands across hands across Europe kind of thing, but Americans like firing people, and uh, that they plays into replacing people with the robots. They, they can't even hire people right now, so I think from a turnover standpoint, yeah, yeah, I mean, they can't keep people, they can't hire people. Like, bring in the bots, baby. So we've got so Dave, I was thinking about this, right? So um, we we've got um, our global leaders meeting in Nashville this week, and one of our um, leaders from the UK came and his suitcase hasn't arrived and somebody sent him a photograph. Nope, they can't hire people in the airports. I think 25% of the flights in the US are being cancelled because of the same problem. And there's just a whole load of suitcases. There was a picture with a whole load of suitcases. Yeah, yeah. Just, if you can automate it, if you can build robots, that's what's going to happen, right? There's a problem. Mm-hmm. The pandemic has driven Fair it. Enough. It's sped it up, right? Yeah, agreed, agreed 100%. Especially with regard to all of these positions that have been labeled essential because they really are because they're part of the uh, the supply chain and these individuals haven't been treated essential right they haven't been paid for shit mm-hmm. they've got shitty jobs and yet now they're being seen now they see that they are essential to the really the supply chain just just America or the globe working and they're like, okay, so if I'm essential, I need paid more or I'm out. And and there's going to be a way. And, and Joel and I talk about this on the show all the time. Jeff Bezos cannot wait. He cannot wait until he can fully automate every single warehouse and he doesn't have to put up with a, another human. I mean, that's... That, and deliveries. Yeah. And deliveries. Yeah. He, he, he would love to have people out of the equation oh, yeah. of Amazon. Yesterday. Yeah. Yep. Let's have a quick recap then. We've got automation, education, robots on the plus point. We've got DE and I tech will fail. VR is, is not is not in the favorable column either. Yep. Chad, it leaves you with one more tech that will fail. Yep. I think uh, pure play chatbots are done. Uh, you know, you, we see the Alios, Mayas, Zors. I mean, anybody who hasn't actually started to move toward a... Um, a, a bigger type of a system, right? A, a recording, a system of record type of system, like we we know, uh, talk push uh, on the APAC and, and European side, and then obviously Paradox. They have taken that chatbot to conversational AI, then to much larger platforms, high volume, uh, and they're not just quote unquote chatbots anymore. So I see the pure play chatbots either within the next 18 months getting acquired or, uh, well, getting acquired on the clearance sale 
shelf or uh, or dying. It's interesting because I, I I loathe them, and yet it's impossible <laughs> to get through to anyone real on the phone. Uh-huh. And there would be in it there would be somewhere where properly good automation could make a big difference. Yes. So look, fine. We've gone through those three three that'll uh, succeed and three that'll fail. I've got one more question, okay. uh, and I'd love to know what Mel will say about this as well, being a chief people officer. But one of my favourite things that came out of of um, Unleash in Vegas was a chat. Uh, it was a talk, sorry, that was given by PayPal, and they they used the Spider Man quote: "With great power comes great responsibility." And they talked about the fact that data could be a blessing or a curse for employees, and it was very much airing on the, uh, the idea that data could really be a bit of a curse for employees, and that uh, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do something. Um, how do you guys all feel about that? Because because data is obviously. Um, something that we all laud and employee experience is something that we are all trying to improve. Mm-hmm. Data would seem to be at the heart of that, but it, it can go too far, right? I mean, it, it could begin to creep into all sorts of infringements of employee rights. Yep. Hit it, Joel. I went last. Uh, when you say data, what are we talking about? Like my profile or my conversations on Slack? Are we talking about what I put on Twitter? Anything that can be compiled by HR or applicant tracking systems. I mean, all of that data that's that are in the, the, the systems that are being used today. So not including my personal life. No, the, the, the insinuation wasn't that it was the social media accounts, your personal social media accounts. You know, I, I'm old enough to remember a day when people thought emails were private, right? Uh, the company <laughs> email address was private, uh, which some people still do. And people are still getting in trouble for like... Yeah. You know, CEOs sending emails to uh, interns about Gen Z. Yeah, so um, you know, and 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 now there there are programs that will track Slack conversations and try to indicate whether you're someone's going to quit their job, uh, whether you're depressed or happy in your your work. Um, So, I think that people have unfortunately become. Uh, okay with their company knowing everything about them and what they're doing on the job. However, I think people, a lot of people don't like it. Um, and I think that does help drive people to Upwork and Fiverr and the gig economy and uh, uh, Uber driver and DoorDash delivery. Like I don't, a lot of people don't want to be under a microscope and live in 1984 when they go to work and knowing that they are on camera and everything that they do is, is taped and everywhere they go is monitored. I mean, we've, we've talked to companies that like, uh, put shit in your, your, eye, you know, your Apple watch to know, uh, your heart rate and when you're stressed and what's like, we're, it's going to next level shit. And I don't know if people a lot of people won't be comfortable with it, uh, which I think is going to drive a lot of the gig economy um, and people like being independent contractors because I don't want that kind of monitoring in my life. And I know a lot of other people don't. Yeah. yeah. Anything that is employee monitoring, bad, stop it now. Let's just get that off the table, right? That That's just, that's just bad. There's no reason for it. If they're not hitting the outcomes, then that's the reason why you either put them on plane or you fire them. Not because they weren't, at their desk at the time that, you know, you, you thought they should be at their desk, but there, there are some good points of data, but unfortunately we, especially in TA and HR are all creatures of habit. And in general, companies will continue fighting to suppress data around transparency. 
right? Um, until they are forced to be more transparent. That's uh, going to have to happen again through through regulation. But when that happens, HR and TA groups will then be forced to dig into that data, identify the good, bad, and ugly, and then make adjustments accordingly. Unfortunately, I, I believe it's going to, to, to be a curse uh, until HR and TA pros are forced to understand that it's probably the greatest weapon in helping them actually hire and retain people better. We have to understand everything that we have and stop looking at everything first as a risk and start looking at how we can actually utilize the data to make our uh, environment, to be able to make our hiring and our retention better. Like what's accelerating a lot of this is like the pandemic. So the work from home movement, companies are freaking out about, oh my God, people are at home, not working. We have to monitor them more than ever before. So, I mean, it's just, it's being exacerbated. Companies desire to track everything that you do because work from home is more of a, a reality than ever before. So, uh, yeah. Don't you think though that actually um, most organizations have had a lot of data for a long time and they don't know how to use it, right? So, or they pick the wrong data points. So I remember hmm. working in one business where one of the data points was the number of applications and you could have a thousand applications and only one person be actually suitable for the role because yeah. they haven't read the job description, right? Yeah. That's the data point that doesn't mean anything right. for me. Right. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. I think well, one of the things that we do incredibly wrong in TA and HR is we don't think like business people, right? So we mm -hmm. come up with stats like cost per hire. Does the C-suite yeah. give a damn about what the cost per hire is? No. But how does that actually affect the bottom line? If we can start to, 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 to create narratives and start to dig deeper into data that we do have that's actually relevant and means something to the C-suite, then we've got something, mm -hmm. right? Then we've got something. The problem is that won't happen until we are forced. Unfortunately, we're, we're dumb humans until we're actually forced down that path. Uh, and unfortunately to me, I only see like the DEI types of bias and regulation popping in to force transparency, especially around wages, workforce uh, composition, those types of things to force HR, TA in companies to make better decisions. Boom. Thank you both for your time. It's been interesting to chew over a few, a few areas around HR tech. Um, so I appreciate you giving up some time reasonably early in the morning, right? <laughs> what is it? 10 o'clock there for you? It's almost noon. It's almost noon. Yep. All right. Okay. 10 o'clock in Tennessee? Uh, yeah, well... They're on Central Time, yeah. Yeah. So thank you to all three of you. Um, if anyone... We'll just recap. If anyone does want to find out more and listen to Chad and Cheese, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple. It's everywhere. Chadcheese.com, baby. Chadcheese.com. Oh, sending people to a website. All right, okay. How <laughs> <Our> 90s. Uh, <laughs> I'm old, man, I told you. <laughs> but thank you very much for your time. Great. And Thanks, guys. Uh, fingers crossed we might bump into you at, a, at another conference. Amen. Right, during the course of the conversation, they talked about VR, DE and I tech, and chatbots being hot smoke or failures in the, in, in the making, and automation, robots, and education um, being the HR tech uh, great hopes and success stories, potentially. Agree with it? Uh, there or thereabouts, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'd... I... I agree with, with obviously some of the points around uh, well across the DE and I piece, you know, and, and 
It's interesting because they were really strong on that. And actually, I was quite surprised because to say DE and I tackle fail, mm. actually, that's quite strong um, because it's such an important area to get right. And there are tools coming out. I know they're slightly different, but if you think we've we've had, um, you know, anonymizing platforms for recruitment and so on on this mm. podcast, I do think there are some really great products out there to try and help. Yeah, but but the thing is, I, I agree there are great products out there. I think we should lean towards it. But the fact that people think that you can just move away from the human element and go to technology, I think that is what's wrong, um, mm-hmm. personally. And I think, uh, again, right, we, we fall into the argument. I mean, I don't know if Chad and Cheese would kind of know about it, but the whole, you know, kind of argument with like A-levels and stuff and, and kind of the inclusivity last year here, right, where depending on where your postcode was, in the UK, you got better grades and that sort of stuff. So, I think, yeah, man, I think the technology maybe is is kind of flawed um, from that side. And then, um, but some of the things that you know they mention across like education, I think that's going to become more and more prevalent. I think, yeah, um, I think the pandemic has been the biggest kind of catalyst for that and shown that you know places that you thought you always had to be in five days a week to get a proper understanding and and so on and so forth you are now, you know, able to kind of do it from your own living room or bedroom or or whatever. And schools are one of those places you have to be there Monday to Friday. And now it's like, well, I can do it from a bedroom if I wanted to. Um, the the yeah. one area where I, I strongly disagree with them, and it kind of came across <clears throat> on the on the chat, is around VR, I'll be honest. Hmm. Because I still think that VR, and the reason why I say this, okay, is that in a working context, I think it can make a real difference. I was talking to someone yesterday who's... Um, Funnily enough, I was queuing for Eagles at British Summertime um, in Hyde Park, and there was a lady mm. behind us who'd flown over from Greece for the concert, mm. and her nephew lives with her in Greece and has got he's, – he's British. They're British. They're expats. They moved out there. Mm. But he's got a job in London, and he's not been mm. to the office to have fun with the team since he started the job. He's been entirely remote, and he got the job at the beginning of the pandemic. And we've spoken on this podcast over and over again that this is the yeah. first iteration. You know, We're still on 2D screens. We're still using the technology that we use pre-pandemic to try and work in a traditional way. But in yeah. gaming, like we, we've said for years, like, mate, you get on FIFA and you play you yeah. play immersive games with, with people online yeah. and collaborate with them and have fun with them and hang out with them. And that doesn't seem weird and i just think that vr could be the like because gaming is so at the forefront and got so much money that the, mm. the the jumps in gaming could create collaborative environments where people break down barriers and have fun together and chill out and because it's immersive it would feel like a complete break from everything else that they're doing i, I agree it's not going to be you know talking to someone who's a squirrel around a boardroom table yeah. um but i do think in terms of making working cultures feel um feel tangible and close even when you're separated yeah. by distances there can be real breakthroughs there i think so i, I think yeah that that's when it, it it probably has a use but i'm i'm i'm, I'm a bit of best of both on that like i do think yeah it can really grow but i also think sometimes it is just pony like <laughs> Uh, yeah put on a headset pretend you're a dragon and like you know start like moving your arms around and start killing dragon like become a dragon so i, I don't know I, man I don't, but... I don't know that is that an actual game you just made that yeah. up oh um, it probably is a game mate i've actually made it up but it probably is a game to be honest it's virtual reality in it you can do whatever the hell you want you know what i mean um it's not real um 
But I think, I think, yeah, it's like Grand Theft Auto when you all behave like absolute lunatics. Oh yeah, beautiful, mate. No speed limit on Grand Theft Auto. (laughs) Violence, rotting people's brains. Like, no, I've, I've never just gone round shot people and seen how many police I can evade because I've been on Grand Theft Auto. No, exactly, and run over people (laughs) on the road. But anyway, um, great game, by the way, great game. Um, But yeah, so but going back to the point, but I I do think right there there are obviously work, there are professions, I think virtual reality is key, and I think Mm. um, even like you know I was thinking about it the other day, like even you know for example, like and this is this could be a bit far fetched, so. I promise you I've not been to Glasgow and not taken any kind of uh, substances this weekend. But um, like even you look at like the, the political situation around the world, right? Like wars and invasions, that sort of thing. And they're like, oh, mm. you know, have talks, but neither side really wants to go into the other person. Well, like, you know, if there was a, a space for like virtual reality, that sort of thing, then it allows people to have that experience and that kind of feel, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and the kind of conversation. So things like that. I don't know if that's too far-fetched, but um, you look at kind of medical appointments, hospitals, you know, consultations, you know, these sorts of things. Um, specifically, obviously, with, I mean, you can use coronavirus as a bit of a benchmark, right, or a kind of measuring tool now. But if something like that was to happen again, I think now people will be like, oh, yeah, VR, yeah, 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 cool. Right, I'll, you know, kind of, when Zoom was a thing, you know last time around the whole like oh yeah give me a second i'm just you know kind of waiting in the meeting room or i'll log in or that sort of thing i think it could be a case of yeah hang on let me just grab my headset like you know and it's i think it can grow i think they they make a strong point for education as you've mentioned Uh, i'm going to mention this because we've got another interview to bring you which is going to close out the show it's with nelson civilingham who's the ceo of how now uh and in this Nelson talks about reskilling being the new recruitment, um, which is bound to kind of prick up the ears of, of um, a few of our listeners and, and you there, uh, Akish. Reskilling the new recruitment. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you mean by that? Is he trying to reskill us to be new recruiters? But he's, he's, got, he's got a book called um, Learning at Speed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sold out on Amazon. First yep. time author, but it's based on on all of his experiences, and it's about how to upskill at pace. And he talks about the fact, you know, accelerating learning at speed, mm. um, so skilling up, and and the internal mobility that Chad talked about a little bit uh, earlier on in the show. He talks about that being the biggest competitive advantage, even more so than actually what your technology or your platform or your services. Um, obviously, he's got uh, bias in saying that because he's got a book called Learning at Speed, but I. Mm. I think I think that's what he's getting at. You know, re- recruitment is often thought of as being get that right, and it's it's really crucial getting the right people in. But reskilling is the new recruitment because it's now unlocking the potential of the people you've already got in the organisation and necessarily going out to the market. You know, using the football analogy, uh, which I, I use in this interview, once you get mm-hmm. a new manager come in, they always talk about youth, but invariably they go to the to the transfer market and spend a lot of money yeah. on um, slightly older players who might not give you the results that you're looking for. Yeah, no, very true. I, 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 I um, I think upskilling is quite hard, right? And and yep. especially with a bit of a transactional job as recruitment, you know, normally I, I get hit with the, uh, well, what can I upskill myself on, right? Like what talking on the phone systems, but I think it's more kind of your own professional development and and that sort of thing. You you kind of you know move on from there, and and I think that's what really really helps and and kind of you know will 
I guess will eventually lead on for people to, you know, kind of learn quicker, self-develop and um, yeah, yeah, become yeah. better recruiters. So I'll, I'll, I'll give that book a gander actually. Yeah. Well, I'll, look, here's I'll the interview. It's coming up. Um, before I, I hit play on that and, and say goodbye to you, um, as we said, Thursday, join us. Um, we'll be there. You can join us on Zoom. It will be lovely quality, I promise. And hopefully the sun will be shining check out the link in the show notes but um Keish, i'll see you in a day or two lovely so joining me today uh is i think i think you were probably guest number 20 or 30 you were very early on in the in the series when we started this podcast but nelson civilingham so we're an, an alumni as it were <laughs> returning guest how are you i'm good dave thanks for having me back i know the really nice thing about this is when we spoke um the story that you told me around how now is about kind of starting up the business on, on the back of wireframes and it was very new. You're in, in, in an incubator uh, and that's kind of five, six years ago and here you are and the business is going strong. Yeah, we've, we've come a long way. I was going to say, I feel like we've grown up alongside your show growing up in terms of its audience. And <laughs> I so, think you've gone further. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, I think when we had started out, it's still kind of validating and trying to figure out who our customer was and what the right product was. And, and we definitely took the long scenic route of trying a bunch of different things and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Um, and then I think when we did land on the right product for the, the kind of market we were going after, you, you do very much experience product market fit. You, you feel it when you go through it. And, and we definitely, especially the last couple of years, um, grew at significantly both in terms of customers and team. And so it's a very different business today with a whole set of new problems. Uh, but it's definitely been a, a good journey. And I, I suppose as a way of an, of an explanation for people who aren't overly familiar, how now um, your kind of your tagline is this is how people learn now. Yeah. Uh, so it's learning and education. I would imagine that the pandemic in a way was probably quite positive in that it's, it's online e-learning. And that was something that during the pandemic really kind of came to, to prominence for a lot of people. Yeah, I think a couple of things happened. So like you said, we're, we're a workplace learning company um, and companies use us to essentially upskill, onboard um, and support their employees. And yeah. so a couple of things happened on the back of the pandemic. One, the obvious one being, uh, you know, people were probably doing in-person lunch and learns and classroom training and overnight you couldn't do that. And so they needed yeah. a digital alternative that contributed somewhat to the growth. But I think there's two other bigger things that happened. Um, one thing being uh, a lot of industries suffered largely um, on the back of the pandemic and there was a, a huge need for reskilling and, and upskilling because there are like you know, everything had changed about the way we work from kind of hybrid remote working. You know, how do you manage people? How do you sell? How do you do customer experiences? And this kind of need for new skills meant the narrative of upskilling and reskilling was now no longer an L&D narrative. It was a business-wide narrative, right? Business leaders were talking about how we're going to make sure our team have the right skills. So I think that shift and that prioritization of learning as a whole was a, is, was great for us. Um, and, and the other one was, was more just the way the workforce was now scattered all over the place, which opens up gaps where mm. you know previously you may have learned from just listening in to what other people were doing on your office floor. That's no longer the case. Uh, previously, some companies were doing onboarding where it's just, you know, shadow this person and you'll figure out what to do. Um, all of these things. Um, another great use case was knowledge sharing. 
where a lot of it was happening on kind of tapping on your shoulder, asking you a question, well, you couldn't tap on someone's shoulder anymore. So you are now disrupting them with Slack messages and team messages. So there was a new realization that you needed a better way to enable knowledge sharing and bringing all your companies learning together. So I think those kind of shifts um, have really kind of fueled our growth over the last couple of years. And in, in recent months, just out of interest, I, I, I was lucky enough to be um, at a conference a few weeks ago in the States, lots of HR tech on show, lots of heads of talent, um, chief people officers there, talking a lot about cross-training, talking about using data to look at their own workforce, you know, with, with regards to the fact that there is this chronic skills shortage. And it's it's hard at the minute to find people. There's a lot of people who maybe have got change fatigue as well now. Um, so, so has that been something that you've seen in terms of the demand from your clients? More more of an awareness of okay, let's have a look at the data, and then this is this is how we need to cross train our staff to make sure that we can plug those gaps and we're future proofed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, reskilling is the new recruitment, right? And I mean, especially given the candidate market we've had. Um, it's quite expensive and also time consuming to be able to try to find. And given the rate at which new skills are needed and how quickly the environment is changing, you can't keep buying talent every time you need new skills. And you need to learn as an organization to be able to build those skills rather than just buy or borrow. Um, and I think that's where organizations have realized investing uh, within. Um, and also kind of an extension of that idea is learning from within. Often, when we're looking to learn a new skill, organizations straight away look outside, right? They look for external um, support and talent, but actually they don't tap into the collective intelligence of their organization often. You've probably got internal experts who are great at what they do. You've just not enabled them to easily share what they uh, know with others. Um, another kind of consequence, we've obviously probably all heard of the great resignation, um, a consequence of the great resignation is if you're an organization that didn't facilitate knowledge sharing, now every time someone left your organization, all that good stuff they knew leaves with them. So essentially you have a leaky bucket. Um, and given we're living in an era of exponential change, no organization can afford to be relearning the things they once knew. We've just enough got, we've got just about enough time to learn those things for the first time. And so I think People having talent that left the organization really realized the consequence of not having something in place that enabled them to capture that knowledge and making it readily um, accessible and available to the rest of the organization. With that backdrop in place, just out of interest, what kind of challenges do you face? Because to use an imperfect analogy, if we talk about football or soccer for our American listeners, whenever you get a new manager coming into a team, they talk about the importance of youth, but then they go out to the transfer market and they'll buy, they'll buy someone in for... A vast sum of money because it takes too long to develop youth where training is happening in organizations or their line managers you know they, they've got deadlines they've got projects to deliver there's always that pushback that they haven't got time to handhold is that something that you see is beginning to be a barrier that is less of a challenge to overcome given the climate yeah it's definitely not a short-term fix um dave but actually it's the more sustainable solution because what you'll realize very quickly is the rate at which you're having to buy or borrow talent is getting more and more frequent. And the more frequently you do it, the more expensive it is. So it's a case of how long are you going to leave it before you do something about it? Because the costs are racking up um, and it's not a good use of your resources. So what's a better use is if someone has been in the company, they know how the company works. They know the journey you've been on. They know your product. It's a far more 
uh, logical thing to help them build the extra skills you need rather than bringing a complete new person who's now starting from a, a basically ground zero of understanding about the company and the product. And so definitely it might seem easier in the short term to hire, but even that's changed, right? In the, in the kind of candidate market that we've just had, it wasn't a quick fix to be able to hire. Um, yeah. And it was quite challenging to find the right talent. Um, and so in that situation, actually, I think companies realize we should have really put an investment in L&D and we hadn't. So we're not going to end up in this situation again. So let's start doing it now. Now, your experiences over the last few years have led you to something new. You're a first time author. I am. <laughs> Learning at speed. Let's, let's give it the right kind of subtitle. How to upskill and reskill your workforce at pace to drive business performance. I noticed that it was sold out on Amazon. So it's obviously doing well. So congratulations. Thank you. If someone is is intrigued, what, what are they going to find in that book? What are the kind of the one or two nuggets that they could kind of take away from it without giving too much away? Because obviously we want them to buy it. Sure. Um, so I guess it, the book kind of really came from speaking to a lot of uh, L&D and HR people and hearing their frustrations around, um, you know, they want to be more lean and agile in the way they approach people development. And although they're aware of these buzzwords and we talk about these buzzwords a lot in the HR people space, um, there was always this kind of frustration on how to practically apply these concepts on a day-to-day -day basis, like almost an instructional manual or playbook for actually following those steps. Um, and here in this region, I often used to think back to startup frameworks and playbooks. And I was like, you know, start in, in the startup space, there's so many great frameworks, um, models that kind of guide you to, to do things and apply lean and agile. And I felt like often when I was having these conversations, I was borrowing from the startup world um, and, and kind of adapting it for the L&D space and telling um, CLOs and the head of L&D, well, why don't you try this? Right. And, and kind of adapting models that I'd been used to using over the last decade in the startup space. And that over a period of time, you know, you get feedback, you iterate, and they became their own entity. So in, in essence, learning at speed is kind of the greatest hits from startup frameworks and models and um, techniques kind of adapted for the L&D world, where now you've got a playbook that you can use to accelerate the speed at which um, employees in your organization learn. So um, there are different models, like for example, there's the, the learning canvas, which is inspired by the business model canvas as a way of really breaking down and capturing your L&D strategy in a single page very quickly in an effective way of communicating. Um, then there's kind of in, uh, building on the idea of the build measure um, learn, but adapting that for the L&D learning experience design process and the learning experience loop. So it's basically my last decade or so of startup learning adapted for the L&D world because one of the things I realized was L&D was almost like a failing startup. Um, they were essentially building products, which are courses or learning programs uh, that didn't really meet the need of the customer. Uh, they were scaling even before they found product market fit. And there were a lot of resources that were being wasted. And so if they took a more product founder mindset, I thought they would be able to essentially do more with less resources, which was the need of the hour. And that's really what drove the book. And the book is really a step-by-step -step playbook of how to apply these frameworks um, to, to build, which I think is the most sustainable competitive advantage you can have as a company, which is the speed of learning. You know, nothing else matters. The quality of your product, uh, you know, whether you have the right talent 
all of those things will constantly change. Um, and to be able to adapt to that, you need to accelerate the speed of learning. Just out of interest, you've obviously been a successful startup founder. Writing a book something quite different and challenging. Uh, but I think it's something that a lot of people in your shoes would would like to think they could do. Any particular challenges or any hints or tips that kind of got you through that process? I mean, it's definitely, Dave, up there with one of the hardest things I've done. <laughs> uh, and given this is, you know, I've, I've built free startups and, uh, you know, done different things in different verticals, this was definitely hard. I think for starters, I probably uh, massively underestimated the effort required to write, you know, the book is 70,000 plus words and, and, you know, 200 plus pages. And I massively underestimated it. Uh, to the point where I think when I signed a deal with the publishers and the publishers said, like, you've got a six month um, deadline to, to kind of get this done. My reaction was, I don't need six months. I'll get it done in three months. Um, and in, in essence, what happened was I ended up asking them to extend the deadline three times. And it took me a year uh, to, to write the book. And I think with running a business, um, it, it was definitely challenging. And it, it did mean you know, giving up on a lot of social time. I don't think my partner was extremely happy with me during that one year. And <laughs> I was definitely slacking at, at home. And in terms of tips, I guess it's like many things. It's, it's discipline and focus. Um, yeah. And I think once I realized a lot of the things I was doing was just a form of procrastination. Um, you know, it's like, no, I need to read a few more books to research. I need to speak to a few more people. And you realize all of this is just procrastination. Um, and then, in essence, I put in uh, an hour of writing time every day, every morning before I started work and and, and just kind of plowed through every day, putting, um, you know, words on page um, and, and getting through it. So it was done paragraph at a time. Uh, but, yeah, it, it took time. Well, look, it's obviously been worth it, as we said, sold out on Amazon. Um, is there Are there any other kind of channels where people might... Is it, going to, is it going to be a case of waiting for it to be available again on Amazon or any other channels? Where no, I, I think you can pretty much buy it from anywhere you might normally buy your books. So Amazon, Foils, Waterstones, you can grab it in store. Uh, and you can also order it directly from uh, my publisher, Kogan Page. Um, and if you're ever heading to a HRI L&D related event, they're often selling it there. And uh, so there's quite a few uh, different places. And if you do buy the book, um, you know, I'm definitely contactable. I'll be um, yeah, really open to hearing your feedback and thoughts and any questions um, around you know, how to apply it in your organization. I'm more than happy for people to get in touch. Well, look, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you. I'm glad it's going so well. Congratulations on the book. And uh, well, we'll have to see if you have something else out there in a few years' time. <laughs> Thanks for having me again, Dave.